welcome to the Bridge Builder Program, an initiative of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, where we help you live your faith in the public arena. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and joining me in studio is our producer and Minnesota Catholic Conference Communications Manager, Kit Zapeniak. Hey, Kit. Thanks for joining us again this week, and we want to remind you that you can catch us right here on your favorite Catholic radio station each and every week at the same time. But if you do miss an episode, make sure to catch up on all of our past episodes by visiting mncatholic.org slash podcast. You can find all of our past episodes. We have nearly 100 of them, so get caught up and hit subscribe so you don't miss any of our future conversations. Then leave us a comment or question and a five-star rating so that other Catholics will find us. In today's episode, we're discussing the intersection of faith and science and science and public policy. In our world, it seems that increasingly we're consumed by the need for data and sciences like the new priesthood. What role does it play in questions about faith and in questions about public policy? In our mailbag segment, we're talking about why the Church advocates for specific laws or policies on issues where Catholics may have legitimate disagreements. And of course, we want to leave you with some practical tips on how you can build the common good in our society and put faith into action. In our Bricklayer segment, we have a tool that will not only show you what bills are being worked on at the Capitol, but how you can bring your voice onto important public policy questions. And listeners, if you have an idea for the Bricklayer segment, or maybe you just have a question about faith and politics, send those our way. Just send me an email, show at mncatholic.org, or leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Just search for the Minnesota Catholic Conference. Today, we're blessed to be joined on the line by Dr. Stacy Trisankos. She is a teacher in the Department of Theology at Seton Hall University. She's also a fellow of the Word on Fire Institute. She's got a fascinating story. She was a chemist at DuPont before converting to Catholicism and deciding to really engage questions of faith and theology more proactively. She is the author of Particles of Faith, a Catholic Guide to Navigating Science. She's written all kinds of articles and speaks on a number of different topics related to faith, motherhood, bioethics. She lives in Hideaway, Texas with her family and is joining us on the Bridge Builder program today to talk about faith and science. Dr. Shazankos, welcome. Hello, thank you so much for having me on and for saying my name correctly. <laughs> uh, <it's laughs> That's a, a hard one. <laughs> it's, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much. Tell us a little bit about your faith journey, about how science helped lead you uh, to Christ. Well, I like to say that I was a chemist before I was a Catholic. Um, and, and really, just to make a long story short, it, it, it just came time for me to say that chemistry— I have a Ph.D. in chemistry. As much as I knew about atoms and molecules, it could not answer the most pressing questions about life that I had. And so I found the courage to say, what's more? You know, who who created all of this universe um, and, and face up to God, which was more than just a God who created a mechanical universe, but a God who loves me and knows me and became incarnate for our salvation. So it took courage to face up to all of that, to face up to my sins, but but my understanding of chemistry gave me that confidence that God does exist and go all the way to the sacraments in the Catholic Church. 
So your book is called Particles of Faith. You've written a textbook for high school students to help them understand the intersection of faith and science. What does science and the scientific method, how can that help us arrive at truth? The, 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 we see that the, the Word uh, was God, and the Word, all things were created through the Word, the Logos, that there's an order and an intelligibility to creation. Was that uh, something that uh, sparked the seeds of faith inside of you? Yes, it, it was a very profound thing. I mean, once I became Catholic, I wanted to understand the Catholic faith. I was so delighted to find a logical, rigorous set of answers to what it means to be human. You know, that's what the, the Church guards, the deposit of faith. And I started studying dogmatic theology for the same reason I studied chemistry. I, I wanted to understand the fundamentals that everything else is built on. So I wanted to understand dogma and doctrine. And my very first dogmatic theology course had me read Father Stanley Yockey's book, The Savior of Science. And when it hit me that modern science was born of a Catholic worldview that God created everything with rationality and order and logic, and that's why we have equations that can determine the motion of things and the way chemicals react with each other and physics it was one of the most profound moments of my life. I was sitting in bed holding my youngest son as a newborn, <laughs> reading that book, and it just like everything made sense. I understood that my love of science had, had been a search for God all along, and now I was treated to this fuller truth. It was a very exciting moment. The Catholic faith can integrate things that seem divided or disintegrated, and, and faith and science are certainly that in our culture. You're associated with Word on Fire Institute, and Bishop Barron likes to talk about how even many Catholics see faith as the realm of the irrational, and science is the realm of the rational. How do we reintegrate these two things and see the reality of faith as not just being something that's subjective, but has an objective content rooted in right reason and, and really communicating to us facts, facts about the rational order, but also the supernatural order? Dogmatic theology based on divine revelation is much, to me, the same kind of thinking that we do when we do the scientific method. You start with different things, so faith and reason. With the scientific method, we start with what we observe in nature, and it's objectively true. I mean, you can't make up the acceleration that things fall to the earth uh, on your own. You have to objectively observe what it is and, and understand, stand under that. You have, you have to submit to it. And then all of modern science is reasoned from there. It's all based on what we observe, and, and then we reason forth to figure it out so that we can dominate the laws of nature and make stuff, make cell phones and satellite communication. With our faith, it's the same kind of reasoning but with in a different way we we start with what god revealed we start with you know christ revealed the incarnation the holy trinity the bible says god created everything in the beginning and we put all of that together and we accept it because it's reasonable to accept what christ said if we believe in christ and we believe everything he said he told us revealed to us and then we reason forth from there, and that, that's where all the doctrine of the Catholic Church is based on that. And like St. John Paul II said, it's two wings of understanding the full truth. And we are made to do both. We're not animals controlled by our instincts. We are human persons with bodies 
that we have to take in information, but we also have a rational soul and the spiritual powers of intellect and free will. So we have to think and figure things out and make good choices and practice virtue. We're made to do both. Pope Benedict said in his Good Friday sermons in 2005 that there was a diktat of the ruling mindset, and if we could characterize the ruling mindset, it would certainly be science and the way in which it has a powerful role in our culture. The Church has a lot to say about this. You've noted in your work that you know, Lemaitre was a priest who created the Big Bang Theory, that the Church has been on the cornerstone of, of cutting-edge scientific development throughout history, yet the Church is considered anti-science. How do we re-evangelize science and take back the narrative that the Church is somehow anti-science, when in fact uh, it's theology, really, that creates the preconditions for science to flourish? Yes. Yeah, I mean, faith gave birth to science. And That's one of the reasons that I promote the work of Father Stanley Yockey, not just because I had that. I mean, I think that was very providential that I had that that profound moment when everything in my life made sense. But I, I went on from there to realize that Father Stanley Yockey's message is so important to doing something. These are my own words, but it's sort of an extension of what his work was to complete the scientific revolution. The scientific revolution started because people in general gained a lot of trust in what science was discovering. It seemed to have so many answers. And there came this over um, confidence in science to give us the answers about difficult things. And that's when this you know, speaking very generally, that's when this divide between science and philosophy and theology started to happen. And so where we are today, we do find that science has given us many wonderful things uh, in the biomedical sciences and physics and communications and travel. Science has changed the way we live. But it's kind of like science was born of Christianity and it grew up and it became this teenager. And I love teenagers. I have four of them right now. But science is kind of at this moment in history where it's so confident, but it doesn't realize, and maybe it's starting to realize that it still needs the guidance of its mother. And so to complete the scientific revolution, we need to move forward and reintegrate philosophy and theology and all the sciences, the physical sciences, into a, a new way of thinking where we make the case that you can't just go out and do whatever you want because you can in science, and that gets into the biomedical, bioethical issues. You can't just do whatever you want. You have to make choices about what we do in science in a responsible and virtuous way, and it has to be based on sound philosophy. Our, our sci- whatever we conclude from scientific data has to also make sense philosophically and theologically. And that's going to be a challenge because children aren't raised to operate in all three spheres. Scientists are not trained. They get PhDs in philosophy, but they're never required to take a single philosophy course. I really see the way forward to reintegrate everything is that scientists have to be trained in philosophy, and if they will, theology. And theologians need to understand more about modern science and how it, how it operates and the things it discovers so that they're more comfortable talking about scientific conclusions and quantum mechanics and biomedical advances. 
We're speaking with Dr. Stacy Trezenko. She is the executive director of the St. Philip Institute in Tyler, Texas, and I want to talk with her a little bit more about that work in a moment. But just building on that point, Dr. Trezenkos, uh, you know, so the history of science shows us that scientific conclusions are provisional, that they're constantly in flux, always uh, changing. Yet, for some reason, science and scientists have taken on this theological dimension. The conclusions of science at any given time are, are presumed to be almost infallible. Mm-hmm. Scientists have sort of a sacerdotal role as uh, kind of a new priestly class, uh, a cast of people mm-hmm. whose judgments should not be questioned. Uh, more deference is shown to scientists than priests even in the medieval world. How did we get there and how do we overcome that? Is it a matter of studying the history of science better? Is it more about knowing the limitations of science and what scientific conclusions are and are not? How do we get beyond that? I like that you use that word provisional because provision is something that supplies a temporary commodity. And that is a very good way to think about science because I quote in my book a phrase that I really love. It was in a secular physics, college-level physics textbook, and it said, our knowledge is dwarfed by our ignorance. And what they meant to say is, for all the things that we know right now or think we know in just in science— there's so much more that we don't know. And I mean, if you think about it, that just points to a, a proof that God exists. But to take that into what you're talking about, what we do in the moment and how we make decisions, it's it's very useful to be reminded that for all that we know about the atom and for all that we know about motion and biological life, there's still so much more we don't know. So you can't take scientific papers. You can't even take scientific hypotheses, or even theories as absolute truths. They are our reaching into the unknown, grasping at whatever truth we can find, but there's still so much more out there we don't understand. And so to a Catholic, that makes perfect sense. God created this world. There's still mystery in science. We don't understand everything. We don't know everything. And just like we can't fully express God, we can't fully explain the mystery of the Holy Trinity, but we can understand something about it. And when you have that approach with humility to a decision-making process, which requires virtue and prudence, justice, fortitude, temperance, then you're better able to make good choices along the way. And so when you get to public policy and you get to people having this over-reliance on science, the order is is out of order because they're putting a lot of trust and faith in something that our knowledge is dwarfed by our ignorance. We, we don't have all the answers. I mean, a, a more responsible way to go is to take the information you've got and make the best decision you can, just like parents do when they're raising their kids, but also understand that you can't predict the future. You can't control what's going to happen. You live in a world with people who have free will And you're studying science, something that we don't know all about. So it's just rational to slow down and take things in stride. We have seen during COVID, for example, elected officials talk about science and they're going to follow the science. And uh, science is a catch-all term for empirical modeling, actual data, biology or biochemistry, in many instances, a whole collection of things. Yet something seems to be missing. What role does science play in the matrix of practical reasoning, given all you've talked about, Dr. Trezankos, about uh, its provisional character and what it can teach us and what it can't? Science is a tool. 
It's a way to gather information about what happens in the physical and biological world, and it gives us data. But the data is only as good as the way it was collected and the assumptions that were made. So there has to be a responsible collection of data. There has to be then a responsible analysis of the data. And even if you have a whole lot of data that's good and you have a strong analysis, you're supposed to take that final answer there or whatever answers you've got in the day, and you're supposed to apply it to the bigger consideration in the practice of virtue and in the practice of making good decisions to help figure out what to do. When people say, we're just going to follow the science, it's almost like they're saying science is a god and science is going to tell us what to do and science is going to give us all the answers. Science is going to call somebody up to a mountain and write down what to do on stone tablets and that person's going to give us our instruction. If science doesn't work like that, we do science. We are probing into the natural world trying to figure out things. So when somebody says we're just going to follow the science, that sounds a lot to me. That makes my red flags go up. It sounds like they're going to give us some information and say it's not my fault if you all have to do what we say. So be hesitant there, but at the same time, don't discredit what science is telling us, especially with COVID-19. There's data coming in all the time, and sometimes people don't do the best job in the world of co- collecting data, but that's because they, they can't. They're, they're going so fast. There's just so many things that aren't known. So, again, take it in stride and keep your head about you, and don't be afraid to question things. We're all just trying to take one step forward every day. Science can definitely provide us with useful information, but we have to make practical judgments about what to do with that information in light of a whole host of considerations. And that just underscores your point earlier, I think, about the importance of philosophy and theology. What ought we to do and what should we do is a separate question from, you know, what is science telling us about a certain set of phenomena that we have to engage in and resolve at the practical level? Yes. Tell us a little bit about the St. Philip Institute and your work there and what you're hoping to accomplish with that. My family moved back to Texas after my husband retired because this is where I grew up, and and I I love Texas. I I love the attitude here. I love the openness and the space. We found out, you know, of course, Bishop Strickland is, is the bishop here, and I wasn't Catholic when I grew up, so I didn't even know about bishops. Um, but he had heard of my work with science and faith, and he had started this institute, St. Philip Institute of Catechesis and Evangelization. And I had a lot of thoughts about teaching the doctrines of the faith and a lot of thoughts about how to evangelize in a, in a world that's a, in, in a scientific age. Just one thing led to another. A lot of prayer and a lot of thinking and a lot of um, prudence on my family's part And I ended up becoming the executive director of his institute, which is a great honor. But he's founded this institute to do what a lot of dioceses do with their Department of Family Life and Department of Faith Formation. So we are implementing a teaching structure throughout the diocese so that the faith is taught consistently for all stages of life, birth to the end, so that people have access to solid information about the Catholic faith then we don't just stop there. So we're a separate institute from the diocese because Bishop Strickland said, if you're going to do this and and focus on how to teach and evangelize, you may as well reach beyond the diocese too. So we, we, um, 
we have a model like a tree. Um, <laughs> Bishop Strickland knows how much I, lo- I love science and nature and photosynthesis, but we have this model where um, we do both the branching out, uh, you know, r- gathering more information, sharing ideas beyond the diocese, but we also focus on the roots, which is in our diocese and establishing a structure here. And so we, we see it as organically feeding both. There's all sorts of agricultural analogies that abound when it comes to evangelization and catechesis. To build on that, from your perspective and your work and experience, is the challenge for the church that we've got to get the right seed to scatter, or and we haven't done a good job of that, or is it that the seed is falling oftentimes on rocky ground and what we need perhaps is some pre-evangelization, and including on questions of things like science and philosophy, so that when we do scatter the seed, it's more uh, apt to fall on fertile ground? Man, that is a great question. Um, It's a huge question. I I feel a frustration with it sometimes, because yes, we want the right seeds. Yes, we want the fertile ground, and we want both. We have to do both. And which one matters more in this time? It's really hard to say, because for me, still recovering from materialism, which I suppose I'll be doing all my life, it's really hard for me to get my head around free will sometimes. Like I, um, in my leadership style with the Institute, I talk to the team a lot about don't get into this habit of checking boxes. Like if you want to be a leader and if you want to make a difference with evangelization and catechesis, you can't just check boxes and so in this, in this subtle sense, I think we're all a bit afflicted by scientism or materialism and, and that we're control freaks sometimes. If you want to go out and have a great conference and change a lot of lives, it becomes an exercise in checking a lot of boxes. I did this, I did this, I did this, we got this many people here. Oh, there, we had a successful conference. When that's really not the, the accurate metric of success, the metric of success is how many people's lives did you change? And you, and you can't check a box with that. And so you have to come up with better ways to analyze your success in teaching and, and evangelizing. And you're not in control of it. So it makes some of my team a, a bit uneasy. It makes me uneasy because you're not in control of the success. You can't say, I'm going to make a list and do all these things and say my job is done. You have to say, I'm going to make a list, but at the same time, I've got to empathize with all the people I'm trying to serve, and I've got to figure out how to analyze whether we've actually changed someone's life here. And I I think we all need to take that approach with evangelization and spend more time thinking about whether we're changing lives or not instead of just checking boxes. Well, that's a great way to end our conversation, thinking about what is the measure. And certainly science gives us a number of metrics and measures that we need to think about and consider, but being supplemented and buttressed in many ways by faith, uh, giving us that ultimate measure of things and what the true goal of our work is. Uh, Dr. Trezankos, we're delighted to have you on today. So grateful for your time and your witness. Where can people go to learn more about you and the work of the St. Philip Institute? Well, we have a website, St. Philip, it's with one L, P-H-I-L-I-P, institute.org, or you can just search it on the internet and it'll come up, stphilipinstitute.org, and you can see all the work that we're doing there, both with our teaching structure and the ways that we're reaching beyond the diocese to connect with people in our podcasts and stuff like you're doing. 
You can also find more about some work my husband and I assume leadership of Children of God for Life. It's been around for many years, specifically with the vaccine question, but what we're going to focus on moving forward is fighting this use of aborted children in scientific research, not just vaccines, but in so many other areas, genetics and human development and other kinds of medicines and cures. So I've made some time in my schedule with my husband to to work on this as well. So you can find that website at cogforlife.org. Wonderful. Dr. Terzankos, thanks for joining the Bridge Builder program today, and God bless you and all of your work. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. And we'll be back in a moment with our mailbag segment. Welcome back to The Bridge Builder, where we help you connect your Catholic faith and public life. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and now it's time to jump into our mailbag to hear what comments and questions you've been sending our way. Kit, what's in this week's mailbag? Yeah, we recently received an email from Michael. He's a Catholic here in Minnesota who says he kind of has mixed feelings about what the Minnesota Catholic Conference is doing as far as our advocacy work, because we cover so many issues and some that he says... All Catholics can agree on, such as abortion, marriage, and religious liberty, but he's concerned that the Catholic Conference also advocates on issues where Catholics can disagree, such as the environment, health, welfare, immigration. So, Jason, the question is, why is it that the Catholic Conference works on such a broad spectrum of issues? And is it ever okay that a Catholic would disagree with the position of their bishop, with the position of the Catholic Conference? Well, I think it's important to recognize that, first of all, what the Catholic Conference is, and that's the Conference of Bishops. So when the conference staff engage with legislators on questions of public policy, they do so with the voice and the teaching authority of the bishops. And that's these public policy questions are under that teaching authority and pastoral solicitude that the bishops have for the common good in our dioceses and in for the human dignity of all persons in our states. Bishops are not just pastors of the souls of the Catholics in their diocese, they're pastors of all the people who come under their jurisdiction, and that means looking out for their well-being. They would not be credible witnesses to the gospel were they not speaking out against injustices on various issues. Though Catholics are not bound strictly by faith to agree with their prudential judgments on a whole host of questions, they are bound to give those a measure of study, deference, and respect. And they should have a good alternative if they do end up disagreeing on a particular public policy question or position of the bishops. They should have a good alternative of what they're proposing instead, simply not just being against it. So uh, they're not infallible judgments in many cases. They are prudential ones, but they are important and owed that respect. Now, it's important to think about the church's witness across the spectrum of issues as promoting a consistent ethic of life that protects life from conception and natural death, but also promotes flourishing at every stage in between. And and oftentimes we need to think about the church's work in the public arena, not just as practical and political, but also as evangelical in character as well. And if we want to reach people in, from whatever background they're coming from or political persuasion, then we want to be speaking into issues that are of p- a concern to people so as to bring the voice of the church into that space and evangelize. So why do we care about the environment or criminal justice? reform. Certainly there are good things to be done politically in those areas as a matter of policy, but it's also because there are a great many people who care about those issues, criminal justice and the environment. What does the church have to say? And if we want to evangelize those people,
people, we need to be speaking into those areas, not just simply um, in a patronizing way, but in a principled way that, that gladdens hearts and brings hope to people. And that's why you'll see the church engaging on the broad spectrum of issues. Most fundamentally, it's about evangelization and helping people with various concerns and backgrounds meet Jesus Christ. Wonderful. Thanks for really helping us understand that a bit more. And before we wrap up this week's episode, we want to leave listeners with a practical way that they can start building the bridge between faith and public life. What tip do you have in this week's Brick Layer segment? We have a brand new bill tracking system on the Catholic Advocacy Network Action Center. Throughout the legislative session, our staff will be adding bills to this tracker for you to easily see what bills are being introduced to the Capitol that are affecting life, dignity, and the common good. On what bills are the bishops taking position? And then uh, for each bill that is listed, you will see whether the conference supports it or opposes it. You'll also find what church teaching says about the issues and links to any further resources we have. And if the bill is at a key point in the process, you'll also find a link to send a message to your legislators. You can find the bill tracker by going to www.mncatholic.org action center. We also want to quickly remind all our listeners to make sure to get your tickets for Catholics at the Capitol. You have until January 31st to get in on the early bird pricing of just $15. After the 31st, they go up to $20. You won't want to miss this incredible day filled with prayer, education, and advocacy, the opportunity to engage with your legislators and promote human dignity and the common good. We have amazing speakers, wonderful resources, and a time for fellowship. We're going to be bringing Christ to the Capitol. We have a Eucharistic procession uh, that's going from the cathedral to the Capitol. We're hosting our event at the cathedral this year. Join your bishops in a day of advocacy, prayer, and fellowship. April 15th in St. Paul. Again, that's April 15th. Get your tickets at catholicsofthecapitol.org. That's all the time we have for today. But remember, check out your podcast apps to make sure to follow us and then catch up on past episodes. Let us know what you thought of today's episode. Share your ideas for the Bricklayer segment or send us your questions in the mailbag. You can leave us a comment on the podcast episode or connect with us on social media. Also, we have an email, show at mncatholic.org. Thanks for tuning in today to The Bridge Builder. We'll be back again next week with another great guest more of your comments and questions, and a new way for you to build bridges between faith and public life. I'm Jason Adkins of Verkitsipiniak of the Minnesota Catholic Conference. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.